Good morning. It's good to be back with you all after three years. Um, for for some of you, I know we are completely new faces, and even for those of you that know us, I know you're still getting to know us. Hopefully, things like our prayer letters, and we've been able to send some videos and some things like that that have hopefully helped you feel a little bit more a part of really the work that your church is doing in Turkey through us. Um, that's that's an important part of our ministry is realizing that this is we we are not alone. We we have we have five supporting churches. My home church in Nashville, and then we have um, you all and and two other churches in the Nashville area, and then one in Minneapolis. But you five churches are the ones that keep us kind of on the field, doing what we do, supporting us, encouraging us, praying for us. And so um, before really kind of getting going this morning, I just, I want to thank you genuinely. Um, it is it is good to have you all behind us. And, and we know that, we feel that. Um, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. And then we'll look at the word of God together today. Our Heavenly Father, you are a good God who gives gracious gifts to your children. You've given us such mercy, such grace, and you call us to walk the path of Jesus. And it is a light burden. It is a good path. Your law is gracious in it. You... you Fill us and then help us to obey your law and not out of mere duty, but out of love and response to you. So, Father, I pray as we look in your word today, as we, as we see what you would have us to hear, to be encouraged in, to be rebuked in, I pray that you would be very much at work in all of our hearts today. Help me. Like Moses, I feel like I am slow of tongue. Um, I pray that you would give me clarity and the words to say so that I would not be a distraction from your people hearing your word. We love you, Lord. We pray that Christ would be glorified and the Spirit would be at work in all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. In February of 2022, Russian forces crossed the border into Ukraine and invaded, um, attacking various cities around Ukraine. Um, this caused a significant disaster throughout that country and that region where many people, Russians, Ukrainians, Belarusians, and people from that whole region began to flee the war. Um, many of them lost homes and jobs. Many of them had to figure out a way of going remote. Some were unable to leave their homes and, and were, were killed. Um, very, very difficult situation. Where many of them went uh, were countries like Poland received a lot of refugees from the war, but also Turkey. Um, Turkey had a relation, has a relationship with both Russia and with uh, you, um, Ukraine. And so we, in our province, received hundreds of thousands 
of people fleeing the war on both sides of the war, but who wanted to bring their families to safety and, and remove themselves from um, a bad situation. And so many people losing their homes became foreigners and refugees in a country that was not theirs due to the war. One year later, in February of 2023, um, this year, an earthquake hit eastern Turkey, killing over 50,000 people in Turkey and in Syria. Um, in, in one morning, many, many people lost their lives. And um, those who didn't lose their lives still lost almost anything they had and were also required to flee the region. Um, again, our province uh, received many of these refugees seeking a new home, a new life, a new start after trying to pick up the, the pieces of what they had lost. And um, to this day now, we have a city that is filled with people who are foreigners or at least are from a very different region. This has caused me and my family to think a lot about this concept of being a foreigner. It's something that obviously resonates with us now, by God's grace, for very different reasons. So, so we are not foreigners due to fleeing conflict or, or fleeing um, uh, a, a horrible earthquake, but, but we're foreigners. And it's, uh, it's not always the most fun thing to be when you're in a land where you know you don't really belong. You, you might never really belong in the way that the locals belong. Um, in the case of my daughter, Sienna, up until just three weeks ago, she had never stepped foot in the country of her citizenship. And furthermore, she might never belong to the country where she was born. Um, citizenship doesn't work that way in Turkey. And so um, she's an American, but she might never get a chance to be a Turkish citizen. So her whole life is going to be defined by being a foreigner. Um, and that's, that's hard. It, it weighs on me as a, as a parent thinking that um, she might never feel like she really belongs very cleanly in any society. Um, now, this all sounds very dreary, I know. I'm not trying to start off on such a sad note. Here's what's encouraging, though. Here's what's encouraging for me and my wife. Here's what's encouraging for our family is the fact that we're not alone. And I, and I don't just mean in a physical sense there's other foreigners there in Antalya with us. I mean, as Christians, we are not alone as foreigners. We're actually surrounded by foreigners. Um, in fact, any person here today who is a Christian, you can commiserate with us on being foreigners. Because you all are. You're all exiles, as we read about today and as we saw in First Peter and um, the beautiful prayer uh, responsive reading that we had, we don't really belong, do we, to this world? We, we kind of fit in, but not, not really. Um, whether it was by birth or by 
moving to a different land or by fleeing struggle, there are many physical foreigners around us. But I want us to focus today on what does it mean to be a spiritual foreigner and, and what are some of the lessons that God would have us to learn about being a foreigner, um, specifically from the life of Abraham. So we already read the first seven verses. I'm very thankful that we could begin uh, or that we could have that in our, our opening worship. We're going to continue from where we left off, reading about faith and some of these people of faith. And we're going to start in verse 8 of Hebrews 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Hebrews 11, verse 8. And we're going to read about Abraham and his family down to verse 16. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus uh, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Our ideas of home, of permanence, of stability, nationality, belonging, culture, I think these ideas are, are rooted much deeper in us than sometimes we might initially acknowledge. For many, traveling the world sounds adventurous. It sounds cool. You know, maybe, uh, especially if you're like high school, college age, you're thinking, I want to get out. I want to see some of the world. It's fun until it's not, until you realize, hey, I kind of miss home. I miss being back where things feel familiar. I miss being back in a place where, where my family is, where friends are. We want to be around those that accept us, around places where we feel comfortable. We value things like common language, common values, common culture, family and friends, familiar scenery, stable places where we can make memories. More or less, we all value these things. However, God has called all here today who are Christians, he has called you to be a foreigner, an expat. Expat coming from the word expatriate, somebody who used to belong to a country who is no longer there. God has called all of us 
to be heavenly expats. You abide here in the world, but you don't really belong to the world. Jesus reminds us of this in John 17, saying you're, you're in the world, but you don't belong there. You're not really of the world. You're a resident of another far better country. We're going to look at this in the life of Abraham today and, and look at some of the characteristics that make a good heavenly expat. I think Abraham points us to a good example of this in, in the book of Hebrews. I think he's there, the book of Hebrews is lifting Abraham up as a good example of what a heavenly expat looks like. So my prayer for us today is the, the Spirit of Christ would teach us to embrace being foreigners, to hold less tightly to this, to this earthly residence and and to live lives of faith that are consistent with our true nationality. So, what does a heavenly expat look like? That's the question. First of all, they live lives of faith, going where God directs. Let's, let's look at verse 8 again. Author of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham obeyed, when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, many of you, um, as has already been said, are already pretty familiar with this passage. It's, it's a common passage. We, we call it the, the Hall of Faith or the, the Faith Chapter, because all through this, this chapter, we are learning about examples of faith. The author of Hebrews then take, comes to the story of Abraham, and while he's quickly moving through some people like Enoch or, or Abel, he kind of pauses for a section here to talk about the life of Abraham. That fits, right? Abraham, um, back, in, back in Romans, was talked about this example of faith, and what does godly faith look like? And so here again, the life of Abraham is lifted up to us as this good example. So what are we to learn about Abraham's faith? What does, he, what does he teach us about living a life of faith? We're told that Abraham went to a place that he was going to receive at a later time as his inheritance. So what's interesting is he, this man literally got up, moved his family away from family, friends, stability, comfort. He moved everything away for a specific destination? No. He moved them not knowing where he was going. I mean, even for me, that's crazy. Um, that is hard. I thought it was hard when we had plane tickets to, and we already had lined up the house we were going to be staying in in Turkey. This is hard. He moved his family not knowing where they were going. Not only that, he knew he was going to receive it one day as an inheritance, whatever this place was. But he also even didn't know when it would be. He didn't know where and he didn't know when. It turns out, it says, that he lived in these tents with his son and his son's son. God actually had revealed to him in making a covenant with Abraham that it'd be over 430 years before his people would really gain possession of their inheritance. So he's going to a place that he doesn't know, and he's never actually going to belong there, even though it's his inheritance. All Abraham knew was that he needed to listen to God 
and to obey him. And that's what biblical faith is. Right? Sometimes we use faith as if it's synonymous with belief, but it's not, not necessarily. Faith is listening to the word of God, believing it, and acting in accordance with it, doing it, putting it into action. So would Abraham have been walking by by faith if, if he just, you know, started out and as soon as he begins to see these foreign armies coming against him, he's like, okay, that's, I'm good. I'm turning around. Is that still faith? I think in this passage, at least for how faith is being discussed in this passage, that doesn't qualify. You see, faith also requires follow-through. Faith is rarely a one-and-done kind of action. In fact, I've found, I think many of you have found, one act of faith leads to another act of faith. And that kind of has to require another act of faith. You see, living by faith is a lifestyle. It's not just, I'm going to take an, a great act of faith, I'm going to do something bold, and then it's like, okay, I'm done now. Glad that's over. Faith is a lifestyle of believing God, trusting him, and obeying him, even when it gets difficult. Faith is knowing that God knows what he's doing, even when you don't. God knows where you're going, even when you don't. God knows when things are going to happen, even when you don't. And that's hard. So the first characteristic of this heavenly expat, whether it be Abraham or any believer in this room, is that they are characterized by walking in faith, by listening to God and going where God directs them. I'll add this too. Faith is rarely comfortable. Abraham left comfort to go and do what he did. I found, at least in my short life and short experience, that I don't know if something that really took faith ever was super comfortable. You should not expect it. You should actually expect it to be very uncomfortable. You should expect a biblical, godly act of faith to take you out of your comfort zone in order to do what God is calling you to do. And that's because we, we do. We live in a world. We, we feel like citizens of this world. And so as soon as God tells us to do something that is very much against this world, it gets uncomfortable. I know for, for Brittany and I, when we, we had been talking about moving to Western Asia for many years. I mean, it was part of the discussions when we were dating and talking about marriage of like, hey, this is happening, right? Um, so it was never a surprise. It was the most comfortable thing in the world to talk about of moving overseas. But as soon as seven years had gone by and we're starting to tell family and friends, hey, we're leaving, then it got uncomfortable. When we're selling off our cars, moving in with another family, getting rid of our furniture, quitting our jobs, discomfort was like way behind us. That's like, I am terrified. We are making a mistake. We're doing something wrong. I mean, all of life is like, 
you, you move out of your parents' home, you get your own car, you go off to college, you, you, know, you get a good job, you get a bigger home, and it's building up. And we're doing the opposite. We're downsizing, selling everything, getting rid of our car, moving back into our parents' home. I mean, it, it's the opposite. And it's like, this does not feel right. This does not feel natural. But that's what faith looks like, often, maybe. Not that situation for you, but that discomfort, that feeling like, uh, I don't know. This doesn't feel like what it should. That might mean that you're doing exactly what God has asked you to do. You're hearing and you're obeying. My family has a story of becoming physical expats. Of In this world, in this actual tangible world, we have our story of being expats. But you have a story of becoming an expat too. The moment you accepted Christ as your savior, you stopped belonging to the country of the world. You immediately got your passport stamped by heaven. You immediately became a foreigner simply living here, but belonging somewhere else. Just because you're not a physical expatriate doesn't mean that uh, you do not have to make these kinds of decisions of faith. But I don't, I don't know what those kind of faith decisions are for you. Sometimes they're actually very small and they go unnoticed. And we choose to respond in fear rather than faith in just the little ordinary things of life. But you know what? Sometimes they are the big decisions. Maybe it's something like God... Um, through his word, through prayer, through Christian counsel, leading you to confront injustice in your workplace. Maybe God is leading you and reminding you to share the gospel with your neighbor, who you've kind of waved to across the fence now, and it's been five years, and it's actually too awkward now to be like, I don't even know his name. I can't share the gospel with him. And yet that's exactly what God wants you to do. And after five years, be like, hey, I'm sorry. We don't even know your name. Would you guys come over for, for coffee? Would you want to hang out? Would you want to get together? Because I'd love to talk to you about who I am and, and, and my faith. Maybe it's donating your tax return to the church, and it's a financial decision of faith. Maybe it is um, you've been considering uh, foster, fostering or, or adoption. But that kind of thing, that will take, that's taxing on a family. That takes a toll financially, emotionally, everything. Maybe that's what God is calling you to act in faith toward. Maybe God is leading you overseas. I mean, I know it's kind of cliche for me up here to be like, hey, you should consider missions. But the truth is, maybe God is leading you overseas. Maybe God is leading you to go be part of church planting. Maybe God is leading you to go be a part of um, some gospel work that's happening in a place that takes you pretty far away from family and friends. The fact is, you're not going to escape these decisions of faith. God wants them in your life. And, and we look at Abraham, and it's a really good example of, hey, sometimes you pick up your life, and you move, and you obey, and you trust God with 
with all the little details that at the moment feel absolutely terrifying. I'll say this. I, I don't know if faith has... I don't think faith gets easier. In fact, I think it gets harder as you go through your life. What I will say is that seeing the hand of God involved in your life and seeing God bringing blessing to acts of faith, that gets easier to see. I think more and more and more I see with every new challenge, with every new uncomfortable thing we have to do, the more it's easier to identify, oh, that's where God is. Oh, this is how he led us. Oh, that's so neat how he brought us this grace to, to help us through this, this struggle. So while faith may not get easier, um, I challenge you, I, I, I know that as you walk in faith, you will see God there more and more and more, and you will find yourself leaning on him for more and more dependence. You are Christian expats. You are foreigners. So live like it. Live in faith. Secondly, another characteristic of a heavenly expat is that they realize that they won't find true comfort and stability here on earth. We've already kind of been talking about this. Some of the, some of the questions and issues of comfort and stepping out of what feels good to us. Let's read verses 9 and 10 from, uh, from our passage here. By faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. When Brittany and I moved to Turkey... Um, we, it was like maybe day three, day four of us being there. We were staying in the church office, um, where they had set up kind of a bedroom scenario for us for a few days until we could try to find a house. And they had, they had loaded up the kitchen table with groceries for us so that we could take care of ourselves. It was, it was very kind of the church to do. Um, but we, we needed some ground beef. And so we're like, Hey, there's a grocery store a few minutes down the street. Let's go get some ground beef. Now, I'd been in Turkey three different summers. I was actually pretty comfortable with certain types of um, getting around and using a little bit of the language. And, and so I'm thinking, oh, this is a cinch. So we, we go down there to this grocery store, and, and I say, okay, I'll get some veggies and some snacks, and Brittany, you go to the meat counter, and you, you get us some ground beef for tonight. Get maybe a, a pound. You know, we had agreed on like a pound of meat or something. So she went to the meat counter, and... First of all, she can't talk with the guy across the counter. He knows no English, which is very common in Turkey. Um, but she's like, well, I can at least point to one I want. But there's no ground beef there. Everything is chopped up cubes of beef. And she's thinking, well, where's all the ground beef? Like, they got to have ground beef, right? Um, and then she realizes, wait a second, everything's in kilos. And this feels silly, but like, I guess I don't know how much a kilo is. Like, is that less than a pound or more than a pound? And so all of a sudden, all these little questions that we kind of just don't even think of in our day-to-day -day lives start coming to her. And she's, she's realizing, I, have, I, I don't even have a way of asking the guy to help me. Um, so I came up behind her and, 
And I was like, hey, what's up? And she, she turns around to look at me, and, and she has tears in her eyes. And she's like, Greg, can we just try again tomorrow? And so we got our things. We paid for the things we did find, and we ordered in dinner that night. Um, we had figured out how to order in dinner. Um, it's uncomfortable being a foreigner. It's uncomfortable feeling like you don't really know what's going on. Everybody around me, they have a clue. I don't have a clue of what's going on. By the way, we would later find out for ground beef, you just uh, you, you order the cubed beef and then you have them grind it for you and everything is ground on the spot for you for the day. Um, we didn't know. We'd find out about a week later. But those are the kinds of things you just... You don't know until you know. Um, but that, that sense of disorienting, frustrating, confusing, upsetting, humbling, embarrassing, that kind of feeling, it goes with being a foreigner. Um, you see this in Abraham's life as well. So he picks up everything he has. He leaves his home and it says that he went to dwell in the land of promise as in a foreign land. It's kind of ironic the way it even says it. Like, he went to live in his inheritance home, but as a foreigner. Um, it says he was seeking for the city whose foundations and, and, or with foundations whose builder is God. What's interesting is it doesn't say he was looking for a city. He didn't have some nebulous idea of the ultimate destination. He was looking for the city that has foundations. Hebrews 12, a chapter later, it tells us the identity of that city. It says it is the heavenly Jerusalem, Christ's kingdom. So Abraham, with his little amount of revelation that God had given him up to that point, he knew at that time that when he moved, he was not moving to a place to feel all warm and homey. He was moving because he knew his ultimate destination was the kingdom of God. That's the city he was looking for. And because of that, he moved as a foreigner to the land of inheritance. This, uh, this passage is filled with yet more irony because he, live, he, he moves to his promised land, but as a foreigner... There's another element here. He moves to find a city that has foundations, that has roots. And so what does he and his family live in? Tents. Last time I checked, you don't set up like, you don't put like stakes down five, six feet into the ground and set up a nice foundation for your tent when you're building it. Tents are temporary. They're mobile. That's why you live in a tent. I mean, think about the awkward conversations Abraham is having when, when he moves to the land. People are like, hey, so are you from here? No, no, I'm not from here. I'm, I'm over here. You know? And they say, well, what brings you here? Are, do you, are you moving here? Eventually. Uh, we're kind of moving around for now. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And like a generation later, his kids are saying the same thing. Like, yeah, we'll see. Like life was temporary by its very nature. That's not a comfortable place to be. And yet the irony of the passage is it was because they were looking for a city with foundations and not foundations that they would ever find in the land of Canaan. 
These are the foundations that God himself has constructed for all his children, for every person who walks a similar walk of faith as Abraham. God has a home for them. God may not be calling you to Turkey. He may. That'd be great. Come talk to me. But he's probably not calling you to move to Turkey. God is calling you to know that your home is temporary. I guarantee God is calling you to uncomfortable things. He is calling you to understand you can't put down permanent roots in this life. We know that, and we, as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, however, will sometimes live less like a heavenly expat and more like uh, a worldly local. We kind of betray the calling we say we have. We constantly invest into bigger and better homes and toys just because we are looking for as much out of this life as we can get. We, uh, we, we are silent in our places of work or, or in evangelism opportunities because we don't want to be seen as weird. We, we want to speak and act and talk like the local people, the worldly people. And so we, we're silent when we shouldn't, and we talk when we shouldn't. You minimize, we minimize our heavenly citizenship so as not to distract from plans and status that we could have if we only fit in a little bit better. Being a heavenly expat means that you're always keeping in mind that you don't really belong here. Actually, suffering is the calling for Christians, not comfort, not stability. 2 Timothy 2, 3 to 4, Paul is encouraging Timothy, and he says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Embrace the suffering and the discomfort. Move through the instability, because God has a far better home waiting for you. When you live in this world like a temporary foreigner, you'll find it begins to come, become easier to take those steps of faith that God has called you to. Let's look at the last characteristic of the heavenly foreigner here. Heavenly expats move forward toward home without looking back or retreating. Abraham and his family never actually received the inheritance that, that they had moved to the land for. Within their lifetime, they never actually got possession of their inheritance. In fact, the, the passage says that they, they saw their inheritance from a distance and greeted it, knowing and acknowledging that they were simply foreigners here on the earth. Let's read, uh, let's read 13 through the end of the passage. Again, those three verses. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. 
if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, even though Abraham never really got possession of what he was looking for in terms of an earthly inheritance, Abraham received a heavenly inheritance. He got exactly what his true calling was. God had transitioned him home to receive the kingdom versus, and in his day, versus the land of, of Canaan. And there are these, these very sweet transitions in life. Um, in the past month, I just lost both my grandfathers. It was part of why we were coming back home was to try to see them before they would pass away. Um, both men were believers, loved the Lord, and their families were able to rejoice at their testimony and the ministries they had um, over the past uh, week, week and a half when we had the funerals. Um, you know, that's, that's a good homegoing. Um, they got what they were looking for, what they were really looking for. So you have these, these transitions in life. Sometimes maybe your, your ministry wraps up. Maybe God says, okay, Kleins, I've had you in Western Asia as long as I want you there, and I'm going to take the question out of your hands. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you kicked out of the country because I have worked for you back in America. I hope that that doesn't happen because I love our, our home. I love our people there. But some of those questions are out of our hands. So there are those kinds of transitions in life. But there's also a way of retreating from God's blessings that is also a temptation for us. It's a temptation for me. If Abraham and his family had not been willing to acknowledge that they were foreigners and exiles, the passage says they had the opportunity to return home, to return to their former homeland. But if he had, it would have voided the blessings God had in store for them. Think of all the, the blessing and the richness of a relationship with God that Abraham and his family and his descendants would have, let alone the climax of Abraham's family in being the family chosen to bring about the Messiah. All of that would have been voided if he had been like, you know what, it's just better where we were from. Turkey is a very difficult country. Um, it's been called the graveyard of missions because um, of a number of different things. Um, we're starting to find some of those reasons. Uh, I'm sure we will still continue to learn more reasons why it is so difficult over the coming years. Um, it's a country of about 84 million people with about 0.007% Christian Turks making it the largest unreached nation in the world. So every person you meet, almost without fail, is an unbeliever, and there's a good chance they've never even actually heard about even who Jesus is beyond something they might have heard in religion school about him from a Muslim perspective. Um, for, for this and many other reasons, language, culture, things like that, the average lifespan of, um, like ministry lifespan of a family in Turkey is two to four years. Um, there's an incredible drop-off of how many people go with long-term plans 
and within two to four years, they're back home stateside. Now, I have no ability, nor do I have a desire to try to evaluate everybody's reasoning for that. Sometimes I am sure it is very legitimate, um, like a transition in ministry that God has chosen for them. Sometimes I think you have to factor in the fact that sometimes people retreat. It's too hard. It's, you know, there's a better ministry opportunity over here. And, and so people leave Turkey very, very often. Um, and I get it. Having been there for three years, it's like, yeah, I, I get it. Um, but sometimes you, you'll be talking with a, a family and, and it feels like they kind of have one foot in Turkey and another foot back in America or Canada, you know, they're trying to, to be present and, and they want all, you know, they want the stability and the comfort. They want the family uh, that they, they have in America while still trying to be in Turkey. And some people can do it semi-successfully. But when I talk with people that, that it feels very much like they're trying to live both lives it begs the question, you know, I, I wonder, are you going to make it? I, I hope you do. I pray that you will, but you may be another stat unless you can figure out a way of kind of pushing through some of those difficulties. Um, but I, I say I can resonate with it. I mean, over the past three years, we had a baby born and we felt completely alone. Um, our, we had some church members who were there. They wanted to comfort us. But all the things that we're familiar with of like family being around and trying to help and, and a whole church, you know, bringing in resources to make it happen. You know, we miss those things. It was hard. Um, the language, you know, I, I can't, you know, after three years, I still talk like a two year old to most Turks. You know, I can have a conversation, but I'm constantly being like, what does that word mean? What's that? You know, um, it, it's, it's hard. I, my brother came down with cancer um, about a year and a half ago. And everything in me is screaming, like, you need to be home for this. And so, I mean, we had conversations about, okay, do I need to make a quick trip back or something? But you go through those kinds of trials and difficulties, and it feels like, are we really doing what we're supposed to? I mean, should we still be here in Turkey? Or is it better if we just go back to America? You then bring in things like a ministry that's sometimes falling apart or you don't feel very successful in. And then some American pastor says, hey, we'd love for you to come on staff at our church, healthcare included. And you're like, we got a home for you. We got a job. We got position. We got status for you. And it, it becomes really hard to keep plowing fields where you're still picking out rocks out of the field, let alone trying to sow seed. It's hard. But when things get tough, when things are discouraging, um, the passage reminds us that for those who are spending their time thinking about their former life, they, um, they have opportunity to return. But the faith, the, the, the commendation that comes to, to Abraham is because knowing that he still pursued being a foreigner and an exile. He still pursued feeling strange in his own homeland of inheritance. Sometimes we act as though there's this wonderful life waiting for us as citizens of this world. 
we we think about all that the world can offer us if, if we're just willing to kind of play the game a bit better. We're tempted to, to fall back, to look back. We think that it'll just go easier for us. And actually, it probably will go easier for you if you just do things in a more worldly way. You might have some level of it going easier for you. But it voids God's promise, God's blessings. Turning back, turning away from Christ, turning away from, from being in exile in this earth, it's not worth it. It's ironic, um, you, you probably know the story of Abraham's daughter, uh, niece, um, his nephew's wife. Uh, Lot's wife had a chance to turn around when she was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And she looked around at the city that she loved so much and was turned into a pillar of salt for it. Abraham knew what it was to to look around and look back and, and to yearn for something that was more convenient, something that was more, at least in fleshly terms, more desirable. And yet Abraham continued on by God's grace. And by God's grace, I pray that you will continue on. Don't, don't seek out the satisfaction, the stability, the comfort, the belongingness that you get from this world if you just do things their way. It's not worth it. We are heavenly expats. We are foreigners of a different country. We don't really belong here. Yes, in, in, invest into a nice home. I'm not saying, obviously, it's wrong to have a good home or a good job. Invest into relationships. Put down roots in your, your church, your neighborhood, your community. These are good things. But when your life begins to become about fitting in, you've lost it. You've missed the fact that you have a different passport. You don't really belong to this country. Don't look back. Don't think that the grass is greener on the other side. Don't be bothered by sticking out or by looking foolish. Because for those who persevere, those who continue on, this passage has a very um, uh, incredible, marvelous, cool uh, thing that God says for those people. It says that God sees these people who continue on and he is not ashamed to be called their God. He, does, he is not embarrassed of the fact that they are pursuing something otherworldly. Why? Because God is looking at this home he has waiting for us, and he's like, oh, if they just hold out a little bit longer. What's more, it's not your job to hold out by God's grace. It is the work of Christ in you. If you are genuinely a citizen of heaven, it's not just up to you. It is you fully committing yourself wholeheartedly to pursuing your heavenly home, and God is there through his spirit indwelling you making it happen all the way along. Don't fall back. Continue on, because you're a heavenly expat. The fact is, if you're a genuine Christian, you already have citizenship in heaven. Ephesians 1 has amazing promises that talk in these terms of heavenly citizenship versus earthly. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 it says that we've been blessed in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing where? In heavenly places. The Father has adopted us through Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained what kind of inheritance? A heavenly inheritance. The Spirit of God has sealed our salvation, which guarantees our inheritance until we acquire possession of it in heaven. You already belong to God, and you're already a part of his kingdom because of Jesus' death and resurrection. However, the fact is that many of us still treat this world as if it's our true home. We invest um, into the wrong things. We, we pour our time and our money and our energy into things with no real lasting value. We care more about national politics than we do about Christ's reign over the earth. We spend more time building up financial security here rather than seeking heavenly treasure that our heart will chase after. We sacrifice fellowship with other citizens of God's kingdom in exchange for the comforts of fitting in with peers in this worldly kingdom. You're an expat. You're a foreigner. You don't belong here. In, um, the church also, unfortunately has people like Lot's wife who would say that they're a citizen of heaven. They, they flash around a passport really quickly. But you realize their passport's never been stamped by heaven. They, they would call themselves Christians, and yet they have no heart for spiritual things. Christ is not working in them. They're not pursuing the things they ought to, and, and, and that has become a life pattern for them. There is no relationship with Jesus. They would say that they are heavenly expats, but really they are actually worldly locals. If that's you, come to Christ. Come receive a kingdom that cannot be taken away, that cannot be shaken. Receive a home that COVID cannot disrupt, that an earthquake cannot destroy, that a war cannot tear apart. Come receive a home with Jesus Christ. That who has died and resurrected so that you may have life if you accept him as your savior. God has a home prepared for his children, and it is marvelous. And so we must act, we, we must live lives of faith, not seeking true stability here on earth, but instead pushing forward toward our heavenly home without looking back. From one expat to another expat, brothers and sisters, keep seeking Christ in your heavenly home as we sojourn on this earth as heavenly exiles.